0: Welcome back to VMP Anthology, the story of Herbie Hancock. I'm your host, Tore. In this, is our final episode of the season, we cover the final two albums in your box set, One Plus One, an album Herbie made with his best friend and collaborator, Wayne Shorter, and River, The Joni Letters, an album that garnered Herbie the Album of the Year Grammy. We start with Herbie talking about One Plus One and then hear from Wayne before Robert Glasper explains why this album is two masters in communication. Then we transition to River, where we hear from Herbie, producer Larry Klein, Robert Glasper, and finally, Corinne Bailey Ray, who sings on the album and performed with Herbie a number of times after it came out. Here is Herbie Hancock.
1: you talking about one plus one? Wayne Shorter and I have been friends, buddies, and now now we're like best friends. We have been now uh, best friends for years. But I met Wayne Shorter back in, I think it was 1964, 64, actually, it was a record that we both did with Donald Byrd, who was the guy that discovered me. And of course we had our tenure with uh, the Miles Davis band together and Wayne has been always a, a favorite saxophonist. I mean he's like <laughs> the top of the line. And not only that, but what an amazing composer he is. And and he just keeps writing these amazing compositions. Now he's orchestrating for full orchestra, major orchestral pieces. And now, as we speak, he's writing an opera. Well, wow. So he's one of the most amazing musicians I've ever met. And one of the most amazing, dynamic, bright, clever, giving people that I've ever met. Too, I mean, Wayne. We we we, we were using the, the, the term Wayneisms. There are certain things that Wayne would say that, that would crack you up. Like what? Uh, like uh, if you want to go to the to the bathroom, right? He'd say, <laughs> uh, "I need to go to the rest of the room." <laughs> 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 and, I mean he, there's a ton of, 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 of things like that Wayne, Wayne is Wayne's, Wayne's really funny and he's, he's fun to be around and he can be a man of few words and can leave you like swimming with the idea of like head swimming like, <laughs> what did that mean but maybe two weeks later, if you're lucky, you'll go,
2: oh,
1: that's what Wayne was talking about.
0: <laughs> like what, is there you have an
1: example of that? He's, he's just bright. He's just really bright. And, and uh, keeping up with him is, is uh, on a verbal level, is really rough. You know, was my, one of my greatest thrills is hearing Wayne and Joni Mitchell, Mich- Joni Mitchell talk together. It's spellbinding. They both speak exactly the same language and they just leap from, it's almost like lily pads. They leap from one to the next, to the next, to the next, because they know exactly where each of them, each is going. And that's why Wayne is on a lot of Joni's records. And, and uh, it's like he second guesses what she needs and, and where she wants to go, without him having to think about it, and and, and it's it's fascinating. They they both are like sort of kindred spirits, and, and it's, it's fascinating to hear that.
0: Talk to me about One Plus One, the album that y'all did together. That is a towering achievement. What did you, what what, what went into that musically? What were some of the thoughts around what y'all tried to accomplish there?
2: Well, actually what we did was we got together and he, he would start playing. And I'd start playing at different times. We'd, st- we'd start something together sometimes, like simultaneous, and then we would... We'll play to see what's gonna happen, what would happen. This is something that I think we all did at some time when I was with John Coltrane, we did that too. He hit something on the piano, like with his elbow, like a tone cluster, bam, that's Coltrane, and and let it ring. And then he say, see if you can find the face in there, find the story. And Herbie and I, when we did one plus one, that was basically what we were doing. He would on the piano. And I think I could find Once Upon a Time in there, you know. Once Upon a Time, there was what? Like Art Blakey, you said, yell out. When we were playing with Art Blakey, the Messengers, and, and somebody taking the solo, and he said, he'd be playing the drum, he said, tell your story. Tell your story. <laughs> tell me a story. <laughs> and uh, that resonated. That kind of stuff from the, we didn't call them old timers and the, they all still young. But what we, uh, what Herbie found out about playing with Miles early, that there was not a lot of discussion or really a rehearsal. So when we did one plus one, we seemed like to carry on from that unspoken pledge about you play and see what happens. Let's see what happens. In other words, we we wanted to surprise ourselves instead of having something really rehearsed, well rehearsed, and we going out and here we go. You know. I think that's the kind of person that Miles was always looking to be, looking for to be in his band. Because Miles wanted to be surprised every night. You know, he wanted to be entertained. This is that phrase. Nobody entertains the entertainer. Can you talk about
0: things that you think Miles, that that Herbie might have learned from Miles? Because I know he was an important figure for all of you guys.
2: Yeah, well, you know, uh, a couple of nights we were playing, more than a couple of nights, we were playing. Herbie's playing the piano, Miles. And then Herbie kept to a place where he said, man, I don't know what to play from here on. Because we were all searching and experimenting and all that. He said, I don't know what to play. And then Miles said, if you don't know what to play, don't play nothing. (laughs) And and Herbie's left hand was on the piano. So his left hand was doing up and down, doing something. And he was thinking he's not going to play nothing. I don't know if he thought this out. But he didn't play nothing with his right hand. And then we, we all started getting in there and messing around. And uh, somebody was saying, maybe that was the start of, of the, the development of what you call modal music. <laughs> and Miles had a lot to do with the suggestions that he made. Don't play nothing. <laughs> Let's <laughs> say so you talk. And then we noticed that something started to move around. And then when we did one plus one, we were basically doing like when we were kids. And when I was a kid, I played in the vacant lot with other kids, and we made things up. I think a lot of us didn't have done that, but we, we didn't discard that, that feeling of, let's go outside and play. Let's make an album, just the two of us. What were we gonna call it? Later on, we said One Plus One. So as we were playing, we kind of knew that we were going outside to play, and no rehearsal. But when Herbie would play something and I play something together, we look at each other, and there's this uh, grin or smile on Herbie's face and my face, and all, some, all of a sudden, both of us go. <laughs> start laughing about something that we do it. Then we got quiet so we can record.
0: So it had that sense of
2: play, like children. Yeah, let's go outside and play. And uh, this thing about, uh, I guess we, we trusted each other. And, and also we did not question each other's proficiency about how much anybody, either of us knew about music. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a melody man, uh, or I, I mean, we're playing, I'm playing. if I jump out and say, I wouldn't say things like this. I say, oh man, I got a melody it doesn't fit with that. We didn't criticize, didn't even get near criticizing each other or critiquing each other. Uh, it was very much unspoken. We kept playing and recording, and then we would like name something. Okay, this is this, and that that or we do something totally together. Or, i tell you one thing, there's a whole lot of laughing going on. Yeah, man, there's a lot of it, laughing.
0: It's laughing because you just enjoy playing with me.
2: Yeah, and enjoy being surprised too. And I said, I heard me play something on the piano. I said, where'd that come from? how did you do that? How did you do that? And, you know, and then this, we're busy, busy complimenting each other in a way, you know. How did you do that? And uh, Herbie would say something like he wished he could, like with a, like a, a wind instrument, do magical stuff. And I, I saw him doing it on with two fingers on a piano, like imitating maybe what a snake charmer does or something like that, or they're doing something that, that could go in a movie, you know, some action movie. He's really on the can... damn, you know. So we, we, uh, we were encouraging each other and knowing that we're going to have something kind of special. And uh, that's what happened with One Plus One. We still have a lot of outtakes that have never been heard. It's okay. not really outtakes, it's just overload. <laughs> so we're gonna we gonna figure out what to do with that at some point.
0: Stuff that's bad, the outtakes are just as good as everything else we got.
2: Yeah, but one the one plus one thing, there's some outtakes. And uh, the, the the outtakes actually sound like they could be for an orchestra. I mean, like really geared for an orchestra. Uh-oh. Let's hold on to this. Let's hold on to that. And there's a lot of this stuff is unnamed, and but we know it exists. Herbie has uh, has them in lockdown, but he has nice studio and stuff.
0: last One plus one, him and Wayne Shorter. What about
3: that record? That's just two masters having a conversation, you know what I mean? And, and speaking a language that mere mortals don't understand. <laughs> 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 it's just so much history between him and Wayne, you know, and to watch it progress and progress and progress and progress and get to this place with him and Wayne, there's nothing else like that. You're literally I feel like I'm literally watching two people speak in German sometimes because I'm like, what did I just hear? I know what I feel, but what the hell did y'all just do? You know what I mean? Because it's literally a language that nobody else can speak. Only Herbie and Wayne can speak that
0: language. I don't even know what you call it. I mean, being masters for several decades, coming out of Miles Davis University, you're gonna have a language that nobody else can understand. Can, nobody else can speak. You can understand it. And I agree with that, but here's the
3: thing. Their, their stuff is even higher because there's a million people that come out of the University of Miles Davis. He has the biggest school. You know what I mean? Like, he had the biggest, so many people. Between him and Art Blakey, there are so many people that come out of that school, but there's only Wayne and Herbie that got to that. But be- between those two, even Wayne, you know, he went off and did his own thing. He went off and did the the um, uh, weather report. You know, they, are, they both lived a, a, a very profound and deep and fulfilling and strange and entertaining and amazing musical lives. You know what I mean? And then they come back together like and then it's, it, it, and so they have an understanding and they were the first to do so many things. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, they're, they're, them together is, it's literally watching two aliens. And we're, you know, we're mere mortal. We're just sitting there trying to figure out like what is so <laughs> interesting. But, you know, yeah, it's, it, that's, you know.
0: This is Herbie Hancock. Let's talk about Ripper, your Joni Mitchell album, album of the year. Really beautiful album. Why'd you want to do a Joni Mitchell album?
1: The, The reason I wanted to do an album like that was because I had done so many instrumental albums and with very few tunes that were real vocals that I'd really concentrated on. And I thought, okay, here's something that I need to kind of shore up on, you know, get, get, my, get my fingers into. And Joni was already a, a friend of mine. I had already been on a couple of her records and she she's fascinating and, and talking about extremely bright and, and a major songwriter and, and, and singer, you know, composer. And she writes things in a way that no one else writes. And so sort of in a way to pay homage to Joni, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's um, kind of an element of, of, of showing our friendship and my respect for her uh, and her her talent, I thought there couldn 't be anybody better to to uh, try to uh, you know capture some of her songs in a a new way uh, I thought than 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 Johnny Mitchell, but I wanted to do something of my own to them. I hoped that she wouldn 't object to a new treatment of her pieces that may, maybe she hadn't thought of yet, and and anyway, she she agreed to let me record her 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 tunes, and I was extremely happy about that. And Larry Klein was the record producer who actually had been married to Joni Mitchell at at one time and, and knew about the history of her songs. And I really wanted to concentrate on the lyrics that she wrote and somehow be able to capture the the spirit of of the lyrics the the story behind them the uh, of, of feeling behind them that um kind of merged my own feelings and and and, and joni's in, in 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 some way as as a person who who I adored. Uh, as a friend and as an artist.
0: This is Larry Klein. Did you, so you worked on The River? Yeah. What do you remember of the making of that record?
4: I can tell you some different uh, vignettes from it. And I'd say that at one of the early junctures of it, once, uh, you know, the idea for the record had been suggested by a woman at Verve Records. And when she mentioned the idea to me, I just thought, how perfect is that? That's that's a great idea. You know, I love that because for me, it tied together so many threads of my life we're kind of sitting next to each other in a way, if you think about it in a, in the way that, you know, a life contains all these different uh, tributaries. And so I thought that it was a great idea and, and as did Herbie. And when we first got together, the first thing that we talked about, I said, "Well, well, I think that the first thing that we need to think about as far as selecting the songs that we do is telling us, a story and and having the album have somewhat of a allegorical quality to it and um and he's kind of sat there and and he said you know i never have listened much to words and songs and i just kind of sat there for a second i said you're gonna have to start now (laughs) 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 and so and so that began our process, and we got together uh numerous uh, numerous times. I mean, what I did was I went through all of Joni's songs, which of course there are a lot of and and i and i in thinking about how we were thinking of approaching this record with this small unit instrumentation wise and how it would work, I, you know. Certain songs, to me, tended to lend themselves better than others to to this kind of approach and and sort of morphing them into into something, not into them being jazz per se, but into a new language, you know, that we were going to create together, uh, that was informed by jazz certainly, but 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 that was also informed by by her harmonic sensibility and her and, and her lyric sensibility. And, and so I, I kind of whittled the list down to kind of a uh, still a lot of songs. I forget how many were on the initial batch that I put together. But then the next phase of things was for me to go over and play songs. I had all the lyrics printed out and play all of these songs and kind of go through them with Herbie and talk about them with him and talk about how we would approach them musically and also talk about what the story of that particular song was and what was being dealt with, what, you know, what was the sort of central spine of things that she was getting at in that story and and at least my take on them. And so we went through all these songs and and, and I explained to the best of my ability and to my knowledge and what was going on in in these songs and what underlying philosophical implications were with, with the what what was going on for her that compelled her to write the songs and and I you know in some cases I had to kind of hypothesize but uh, in a lot of cases I knew by this time uh you know what the driving wheel behind these songs were and so we went through them and listened to them and he asked questions and said "Well, what does that mean you know and and i would say well i think that what she's saying there is this and such and and so we uh, gradually winnowed that list down and started thinking about casting and how you know who who would fit as a uh, vocalist on a particular song and And you know, sort of our master plan of how things would fit together on the record. And of course that changed as we were working on it because things never in this kind of a record, things never lay out the way that you exactly the way that you thought they were going to, because some people are excited about doing the project, some people can't schedule a wise, some you know, there's so many things. But 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 you know, we, we gradually I would go over there. I'd say, you know, 2 3 times a week and we just sit and go through the songs, play through them sometimes and uh and talk about the lyrics and and of course for he and I, you know, one song would take us through an afternoon, you know. <laughs> we just keep going. For me, he's just such a fantastic guy to sit and talk to and we just would go on these kind of circuitous journeys as far as you know one one idea presented in that song would take us down a rabbit hole and we'd end up three hours later you know oh let's get back to the song you know (laughs) so uh it was a delightful process you know I I just loved it and and uh loved going there and 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 sitting with them and doing that one thing that I can tell you because I you know I'm I don't want to ramble on too much, but there's another, uh, another part of making that record that was uh, noteworthy for me. Anyhow was that when it, when it came down to uh, actually tracking the record, we did the sessions in New York city at uh, avatar studios. And, and, um, and one thing that I had, spoken to Herbie about prior to uh, us getting into the studio, certainly, I think maybe early, even early on, was that conceptually my thought was that our job in doing this record and, and for for us to do something that was going to be new and create a new language and form for this music to, to uh, live in was... To, actually to kind of think about it as we were scoring the lyrics so that, you know, that the, the poetry was driving the whole thing and that the music actually was there to serve the poetry. And uh, and he agreed with that notion. And, and what, did, uh, what did Joni think of the record? I purposely didn't play her anything until way, way later. I mean, she... She sang on on one song, of course, on the tea leaf prophecy, but you know, I had a miniature Joni living in my head during the making of the record, so even though I wasn't playing her anything, she was very much there while we were making it because I knew that I was going to have to play it for her <laughs> for one <laughs> and and as, a, as you might know, she's, she is not a, uh, a gentle critic, you know, and, she, and, she, and especially when it comes to her own music. Through the whole process of making the record, she was there in my mind and, and heart, really, because I really had a voice inside me saying, this is, this is a big deal here, you know? This is posterity. This is something that's going to live on, and this has got to serve many purposes. It's got to serve Herbie as an artist, as a, as a musician. It's got to serve Joni as a songwriter, poet, and musician. It's got to serve me. I have to be able to be proud of it and feel good about it and represents my work. And, and so that was a lot, you know, It, it was a lot. And, and, and I mean, she eventually, I think she loves, I think she loved it when she heard it in the end, you know, but I I just couldn't have her involved in in any of the decision process because she, her nature would be to get in there and start taking things apart and and reassembling them, and then it would become her record, and then it wouldn't be what it was supposed to be, and so all of this was on my mind throughout the making of the record, And, and I have to say, like, that meant when we finally got to New York, and okay, and it's it's uh, Herbie Wayne, Dave Holland, who was another one of my heroes. These guys were my my heroes coming up musically, you know. And then Vinnie Colaiuta and Leonel luiki You know, each day when I w- went to to the studio, I would be just thinking, oh, God, this is the hardest fucking thing that I've ever done because when we would start working on a song. You know, Herbie and Wayne have gotten to a place where they really reside on on musical Mount Olympus. You know, and 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 they're on a stratum so far above everyone else, to my mind, at this point. That that uh, w- when they go into the studio, it's very it's a very spontaneous and kind of in the moment process. And so you can imagine, like you know, what I prepared very thoroughly, so I, I would get the lyrics print it out, and, and, and I'd give the lyrics to, to all the players, and I'd go over. You know, we'd listen to Joni's version, and I'd talk to them for a second about about what was going on thematically in the song, and then they would go out into the studio, and they we might have some musical things to work out, but then they would do a take, right? Eventually, we'd get to the point where they would do a pass. And then Herbie and Wayne would look at me and say, that's it, right? And I had to be the one to say, "Well, I, I you know, let's look at this and that, and you know that, you know, she's singing. It. Listen, in this section she's singing this line and this line, and it would be, wouldn't it be amazing if if things uh, drifted for a little bit in that area, or you know, like th- these kind of things? There was a, there was work to be done." But I had to be the guy who (laughs) said to these these three guys, Dave and Wayne and Herbie, "No, we haven't got it yet." You know, like, and uh, that was pretty tough, you know, because they understood what I was saying and they went along with it, but not always happily.
0: River,
3: first of all, that's the one where he won. Didn't he win uh, the Grammy, uh, the, the big one? He won the big one for that. He won Album of the Year.
0: Oh, word. Beat out Kanye. Yes, 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 yes. that's right. Yes, yes. Beat out Kanye West. Well, he's the la- that's the last time a Black person had won the Grammy for Album of the Year. So here we go. In
5: the Boom. Last years.
3: Boom. So, I mean, first of all, that album is so honest and it's not, it's not even trying, Herbie on that album is not even trying to be mainstream. He's doing Herbie, he's doing Joni Mitchell songs, but when you listen to the songs and it's entirely, he goes off on a tangent on most of them. It's, it's, it's him and Wayne are, they off to the races doing their, in their space. You know what I mean? And that, that's the thing about Herbie. He, he has a way of. Giving you something you understand, like giving you what you kind of may be used to, what you know, but also being like, and here's this. You know what I mean? It's, it's a lesson without feeling like it's a lesson. You know what I mean? Without... That album is so beautiful. I, lo- I love that record. The fact that that album was able to... He was able to be that honest and it's still just a, a jazz record. That's not Herbie saying, I'm going to do a pop record. That's right. actually a jazz record through and through. When you listen to the whole thing, it's jazz all the way through. And for that's when, that's the first record jazz record to win album of the year, you know, and to, in, in this era of time to beat out people like Kanye West. because A lot of times the Grammy is a, the Grammys are a, popula- a popularity contest. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of times. So when he won that, that was so inspirational to me. Like right after that, I won maybe two years after that. I won R&B album of the year at the Grammys. And when the year I was winning it, they realized I wasn't good TV, and they took the category off television. I was the first year that R&B album of the year was not on television. I'm the reason <laughs> that they took it off because I'm a young black man, and I'm on who's this? Who? That's not good TV. They weren't expecting me to beat out Robin Thicke. <laughs>
5: trees putting up rain of joy
0: this is corinne oh, bailey ray can you tell me about when you met
5: when i first met herbie i had already recorded river river had been a, a track that he he had put together and he and wayne had played on this song and it was sent to me and um you know i was very i was I felt very humbled about it. And I also understand the context, which was, you know, my record was just coming out, and I think it's good for people to work with other, you know, established artists, to sort of pat, their, pat someone on the head, a younger artist. And I, but I also thought, you know, out of all the younger artists, he has picked me, you know? I think you always get that imposter syndrome thing. So I was like, but he has chosen me, and I do love this song, River, and I'm just gonna do, you know, the best job that I can do. But then we got together and we performed at Abbey Road in London. So it was a big day for me. You know, it was one of my uh, earlier experiences of being at Abbey Road. And I was recording, recording with EMI at the time. So it was an iconic studio. And I remember just sort of walking in and seeing him by his grand piano and just being aghast. I was like, this really is, this really is Herbie. And then it was like, this really is Wayne Shorter and we we're in this darkened studio and we remember we just went straight into it and he played this introduction I remember being so caught up in the introduction I described it like to me he plays water it's like the keyboard is just water and he's just sort of touching it and it's like it's easy to lose track of the time signature it's easy to choose track of where you are in harmony and I remember just hearing this introduction and being so caught up in it And it's been filmed as well, so I'd be taken, and then the director would say, oh, that was where you're meant to come in. I don't know where I'm meant to come in because, one, he's never going to play it the same. So you do a rehearsal, you say, oh yeah, it was was this amount of bars, it was this thing, this figure, I'll come in there. The next time he plays it, he's never going to play it the same. So it was just getting ready for that. and I think I must have missed my cue about three times because I was so caught up in this introduction. I was just in the music, and, and again, because it wasn't the same twice. And he has that thing about, you know, you're never in the same river twice, and, and that's how it is, I think, with his, with his music. I was amazed by the kind of, the constant invention, the just, the creativity that was just pour, pouring out of him. You know, we're, in a, we're filming, so to me that makes me think, oh, this is really serious, it's at Abbey Road, it's for a record, it's for a documentary. But he's just got endless, you know. Do you want it this way? Okay, now we're doing it this way. No, we're doing it this way. There's just keep he's just keeping dipping into that river and pouring it out. And there's there's endless amounts in there. So that was my first meeting with him. I played with him at an event for Wayne Shorter in Los Angeles, but the most, the event that stays in my mind the most is when we played in We played in Paris and we played for the UN. He's Herbie's the ambassador of World Jazz Day. And I think in that context, he's getting people together all the time to say, jazz is this universal language. We all speak, speak it. Music is a force that will bring people together for peace. And the gig was incredible. But the thing I remember most was the rehearsal. And I don't regard myself as a jazz musician or an accomplished musician in that way, but I felt playing... Herbie I was sort of like dragged up in this spiral kind of vortex you know so it's like my skills were here but playing with him it was like all these new planes were open so I could I could sing in a way that I've never sang before I was free in a in a new way I was reaching for things that I hadn't had the chance to reach for so I played river which we did together for the Journey Letters. But I also played one of my songs. I played Like A Star, which is a song I know really well. But suddenly it was like, it was stretched across all these different planes that I hadn't recognized before. And Wayne Shorter was was pulling it and pulling it and pulling it up. And then Herbie was making it wide and horizontal. And I just thought, you know, this is it for me. And I, I had a moment, which I've had before, play music I've had it lots of times but not not too to, to be countless and one of these times was this was with Herbie where it was like total transcendence where it's like I'm here this is the rehearsal I'm here I'm in this moment there's no past there's no future we keep spiraling up and up and up and I feel unafraid you know I, I felt like if this is sort of the end of my life and I kind of breathe out my last breath in this moment, I am into it, you know, I didn't feel afraid at all. And it's so I'm, I'll always be grateful to him for all the experience I've had listening to his music, but actually playing with him, for giving me this moment where I was able to just lift out of this and be just in the eternal.
0: That was amazing. Um, um, like when you're in the moment of playing with him, like, you know, and you have that, like, super present focus. You're, like, in the zone. Like, what is that like? You, like, you guys are, like, in the moment of, like, making the music together. Like, what is that like?
5: Making music with Herbie is, like, it's like, it's almost, like, not an oral experience. I described him as being, like, water. Or it's like watching a painter. It's like when you think of water or when you do painting and you see dye getting dropped. Into water, so suddenly it goes from being colourless and clear to having these, these, these moments dropped into it. I, I I don't know how to describe his harmony, and I'm glad I don't. And I think even if you spent a long time studying jazz, you wouldn't be able to just reduce it to, oh, it's the super tonic. And it's just he does a thing with with harmony where it's like it's glassy. It's the particular spread of the notes and the way that they arrive and his touch means he'll just put his hands to piano and it's like here's a mood here's a feeling here's a color it's not like i mean it is just music but music is so vast in his hands you know music is so wide and limitless in his hands that when you're playing with him you start to think you can do it too you know that's what I started to feel like maybe I have you know maybe I can fly as well and then before you know it you're flying up and it's like I describe it as you know getting caught up in the in the updraft of this you know that, that he has such thrust elevation you know pull that you can just get sort of pulled along by it and I think anyone you know anyone could go on that journey he takes his listeners with him and I think if you' if you're on the stage as much as you're participating in that musical moment you're you're also just being pulled along by this this force
0: when the album that you are a part of wins the Grammy for the album of the year which is such an amazing um, honor um, How did you feel and how did you respond? Were you there that night?
5: I was there at the Grammys when the record album of the year and I was just thrilled and I was so thrilled for Herbie and I saw him go up and I saw him take out his notes from his his jacket and all the people he had to thank and I thought you know this is such an incredible moment for jazz that there's all these people who were from various different backgrounds and using this incredible writer of Joni Mitchell but also using Herbie's arrangements which kind of Spread the songs out and pulled them out and you know the amazing choice of people. I mean, hearing hearing Tina Turner in that context was just, like unforgettable to me. But seeing Herbie there in the Grammys, making that, that statement that jazz is this universal language, jazz is outside of time, jazz lives forever, jazz affects. All the music going forward, you know, I thought, you know, to hear sort of To Pimp a Butterfly several years later, and, you know, obviously to me that was, you know, that was the album of the year. And I was at that Grammys as well. You know, those those moments where you have this American music which has touched all other musical forms and continues to inform all other musical forms. But to see it honoured in that way, I thought it was really special. And Herbie then at that point sort of becomes... A jazz ambassador, you know he is a sort of living legend in in jazz and in in the in the vision that jazz has, which is to be a truly democratic and individualistic but at the same time collective art form that that speaks to everything around it you know that jazz is saying in that moment, you know we can all express ourselves. We can be a collective, but there's room for us to be ourselves, which is, I think is a constant challenge of democracy.
4: That's it for this episode of EMP Anthology, the story of Herbie Hancock. This season of the podcast is hosted by Toure. It's executive produced and scripted by Andrew Winnestorfer. It's produced by Ben Patterson and Karen and Otis Ratchman.
2: Thank you to Herbie Hancock and all the artists who checked in from their couches via Zoom for this podcast. And remember, listen to more Mwandishi.